0: church? Who's the man? Jesus. Just had to say that. I want to shout out our greetings to our other campuses, to the North County campus. Hey, North County. I was raised in North County. I went to junior high, high school there, so that's my stomping grounds. East County campus. Hey, East County. I live in the East County, just less than a mile from there. Our online sites, our microsites. we want to say hello to all of them. As our hosts mentioned, my name is Mark Strauss. I am professor of New Testament at Bethel Seminary. I've been teaching there for 20 years now, teaching here in San Diego for 20 years. I'm also, for the last couple years, on the board of directors here at The Rock. There's been some questions about the direction of The Rock. Is The Rock changing directions? And I'm here in part this morning to affirm our mission and our vision, that it hasn't changed at all, because Miles has always been about the gospel of Jesus Christ, proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? Right? Affirming Jesus, making him known, making him known throughout the world. And that will never change. We're going to be open to what the Holy Spirit is doing. Absolutely. Whatever the Holy Spirit, wherever He wants to take us, we will be totally open to that. But we're also going to be biblical, always be biblical. We're also going to be discerning, always discerning. John says to test the spirits, to see that they're from God, and we will always be doing that, but we'll always keep our main focus on our main focus, which is loving God and loving others, which is the essence of the gospel message. Amen? So how do we do that? We're going to talk about that this morning. One way we do that, through the unity, through coming together in Christ. We've been kneeling in preparation to give ourselves to God. So if you'll join me, if you can't get down, that's fine if you join me is just saying that God is God and we are not and we're giving him this morning this morning we're giving him this worship together. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for the gift of your son Jesus Christ. We thank you that you are sovereign Lord over all things and sovereign Lord of our lives. So we pray this morning that we would hear you speak to us and that we would respond in faith and in understanding. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. As a kid, I grew up in Alabama. Anyone from Alabama? Huntsville, Alabama. Sweet home Alabama? No? not me. One of my favorite joys growing up was playing backyard football. I'd play backyard football with my brother Mike and Mike was only 10 and a half months older than me. Now think about that, right? My, my mom had him and then a month and a half later, she was pregnant with me. So we were sort of like twins growing up, and we really knew each other's thoughts. We used to love to play backyard football, and we would play these two brothers who lived down the street. Their names were Gus and Mike, and all those years we'd play against them, we never lost. We always won. What was amazing about that is individually, Gus and Mike were much better athletes than us. In fact, they were stars in high school. They were much better athletes, but when we played together, we always beat them. Why was that? Because of teamwork, we knew the other person. I just glanced over at him and nod my head, and he knew exactly what to do, and we would always win. Teamwork, it's when the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. And it's what every coach is looking for, from Little League, we have any Little League coaches? All the way up to Major League, they're looking for this. When you bring together a group of individuals, average players perhaps, and together they come together and can accomplish amazing things. You can bring together a group of superstars, prima donnas, and they'll fail, but then you can bring together another group that's just average and they will be amazing when they come together as a team. Remember that 1980, that US Olympic team in the Olympics that beat the Russians? Individually these players were nothing compared to that uh, that Russian team, but they won. They won because they came together and gelled as a team. It's the same in the church. Individually, we are just average, right? Each of us is given spiritual gifts. But when we come together, we can be the most potent, most powerful force in the world. That's what Jesus said. Remember, Jesus says, the gates of hell, I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not stand against it. Nothing can stop the church. There's a New Testament name for teamwork. You know what that is? It's unity. Unity. And it's a major theme in the New Testament, especially in Paul's writings. Paul's this great theologian. And we always talk about his great theology. But if you read his, his writings, the key focus is almost always on love and unity. Those two key terms, love and unity. And he's always calling his churches to get together. Here's 1 Corinthians. Listen to this. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. He says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, that all of you agree with one another in what you say... And that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. Here's a church in Corinth that is racked by divisions. And Paul says, come together. You can do amazing things if you're unified. Here's another verse. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3. Paul says this, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. Paul knew that the one thing that could devastate and destroy his churches was disunity and dissension. And the one thing that could make them the most powerful force in the world was unity when they came together. There's probably no better passage in the New Testament on unity than Philippians chapter 2. If you have Bibles, turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. We're going to look at this great passage it's not only a great passage on unity, it's a great passage on what we call the incarnation. Incarnacion. The incarnation is when God became a human being. The great mystery of God becoming a human being, living among us. So it's a great passage. How many of you memorize scripture? Do you memorize scripture? You should memorize scripture. Philippians chapter 2. When I was a kid, my grandfather, who was a preacher, came to our house and he said, I will give you, you and your three brothers, I'll give you $5 to memorize Philippians 2. 1 through 11. Now, back in that day, five dollars was a lot of money, and I have to admit, I learned that out of mercenary reasons, for mercenary reasons, because I was going to get paid, but it's a great passage. I'm so glad I learned it. Philippians chapter two, a great passage on unity. Four points I want you to see this morning. It's in your outline, in your lesson plan. The first one is the basis for Christian unity, the basis for Christian unity, and that basis is who we are in Christ, what we share together in Christ. Look at verse 1, Philippians 2.1. I'm reading from the NIV. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, stop right there. Do you see what Paul is saying? He's saying, hey, what do you share in Christ? What, do you, what benefits do you get out of being a Christian? How many of you are believers today? How many of you believe in Jesus Christ? Do you ever get encouragement? Do you ever get any of these things? Do you ever get encouragement from others, from being united in Christ? Is there any comfort from that love? Is there any sharing in the spirit? Paul says, What do you get from this from being, being together in Christ, being saved, being part of the body of Christ, being part of the church? What are those benefits? I don't know if you've ever been in a really alien environment or a place where you experience culture shock. Anyone lived overseas? Experienced culture shock. My wife and I lived for four years in Scotland, in Aberdeen, Scotland. I did my doctoral work over there. When we first went to Scotland, uh, we experienced quite a lot of culture shock. Um, we arrived there, and we didn't have any friends or any family, and winter was just setting in. My wife loves the hot, desert, dry climate, so I took her to Scotland, right? And we were broke, and my, my studies were struggling, and we, we didn't have much money in the... Um, The prices were overwhelming, and we didn't have a car, so we had to take the bus to the grocery store. We couldn't find the food we liked. Couldn't find peanut butter. Peanut butter, right? How can they call themselves a civilized country without peanut butter? Or chips and salsa. What are we, barbarians? No chips and salsa. And we were really struggling. We were wondering whether we made the right decision. We were lonely. We were cold. So one Sunday, someone had given us um, the name of a church, Um, And and one Sunday, I called the church to see where they were and to see if we could find out how to take the buses to go down to that church. And and when I called the church, the the, uh, person answered the phone, cheery Scottish, Scottish accent, answered the phone. And I said, can you tell us how to get down to your church? And his response was, where are you? You stay there. I'll come pick you up. And he drove like 10 miles to come and pick us up and brought us back to that that church. And from that moment on, that church just enveloped us in their love. We became part of that community, part of that family. They got us involved in a small group Bible study. And that that Bible study became became our family. Almost every Sunday, almost every Sunday, someone would invite us over after church for lunch. It's always interesting how they asked. They would say to us, would you guys like to come over and share a joint with us? We thought, these people are rather progressive, right? These Scots had, had no idea. A joint, we learned, was a roast, a roast. You've heard about the United Kingdom and the U.S., two nations divided by a common language? Right? So, <laughs> yeah. And this church just enveloped us in their love, and, and we became part of this community. In fact, when my father, my father was diagnosed with terminal cancer, A few years later, and that Bible study came together, and they paid our way to go home to be with my family for Christmas. Why would they do that? Why would they sacrifice so much? Because we were family, right? That's what we share in Christ. It was like coming in from the storm, you ever been out in a real bad storm? Never in Southern, never in Southern California, right? Or barely get rain. But you, maybe in the Northeast, a terrible storm, you get in and you get into a place that is warm and dry and comfortable and protected, and you've come in. Some of you have come in from the storm to Rock Church, right? Maybe it, the storm of alcohol abuse or the storm of drug abuse or the storm of broken or abusive relationships. And you've now found a place that is warm and caring and supportive. What does Paul say?s He says, what do you have in Christ? What are the benefits you've received in Christ? Is there any encouragement from being united with Christ? If any come is there any comfort in his love? Do you receive those things? Paul says, if you receive these things, then look at verse 2. Look at verse 2. Then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one in mind. Here's our second main point. Our second main point. After the basis of Christian unity is the meaning of Christian unity. The meaning of Christian unity. United in love, spirit, and purpose. United in love, spirit, and purpose. Notice what Paul doesn't say. He doesn't say, make my joy complete by agreeing on absolutely everything. Right? We're never going to agree on everything in the church. Take worship style. Some people like the traditional worship style, the hymns. Some people like more contemporary worship style. Or take child rearing. Some people are more permissive with their kids. Some people are more strict. Well, Let's not even get into politics, right? We have all different views on politics. Paul doesn't say agree on everything. In a large church, that is never going to happen that we're going to agree on everything. In a church of any size, that's not going to happen. You know that verse. In scripture, right? Where two or three are gathered together in my name, someone's going to have a fight, right? No, that's not really what it says. So to be united doesn't mean to agree on everything. What it means is what Paul says, to be united in love, in spirit, and in purpose, in the fundamental things that we share in common, the most important things that we share in common. Let me ask you a question. What makes a husband and wife team a great team? My wife, Roxanne, and I, I think are a great team. And let me tell you what makes us a great team, is we agree on absolutely everything. We agree on absolutely everything. For example, my wife likes to watch back-to-back NFL games on Sunday afternoon for six straight hours. That's one of her favorite things to do in the world. She loves to go to Home Depot and look at power tools. That's another favorite thing. And me, I love to shop. Okay, I'm lying, I'm lying. I hate to shop. I do all my shopping at Costco, right? Can you tell, right? One stop, one stop shopping there. My wife has no interest in power tools, though at times I know she's wanted to use one on me. (laughs) Being united doesn't mean agreeing on everything. We are so different, right? If you're married, you know this, right? Men are from Mars and all all that that stuff, We are so, so different. But we are united in what really counts right? We, we want the best for the other person. We love that person. We want them to be all that God called them to do. My wife went to Scotland for four years. She loves the desert climate. She went to Scotland. Scotland has four seasons. There's snowy, right? There's rainy, there's extra rainy, and there's just a little less rainy. That's, those are the four seasons, there's this great postcard that we got in Scotland that shows that, the four seasons. One is snowing. One, the rain is coming like this. One, the rain is coming like this. One, the rain is, 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 is coming like that. Those, those are the four seasons. And she put up with that to put me through. And then we came home, and I put her through to finish her bachelor's degree. And now she's gone on and done her marriage and family therapy degree. She just finished, and I'm so proud of her. And she's just thriving. I'm seeing gifts I'd never seen before because I love her, and I want to see the best in her. We share the same unit we we are unified because we're one in spirit, in purpose, in love. We want the best for our kids. We want our kids to love God and to love one another and to love the world and have a passion to know Jesus Christ. And we are fiercely protective of them. That's what we share in common. That's the most important thing that unifies us. We can differ on all different minor issues. That's okay. But do we do we focus together on those key things? That's the way the church should be wanting the best in each other. We will disagree on minor issues all the time. Take music. Music is probably one of the areas that's been most controversial in the church. I grew up in the 1970s where rock and roll was just really getting going. And I, some of you might remember, if you're old like me, some of you might remember the guitars and church wars of the 1970s. Anyone remember that? Where basically, most churches just had hymns and they, they, they had piano and organs, and then people started bringing guitars in church. People were saying, that's of the devil. You can't bring guitars. And then drums, and drums are even worse. They were just from the pit of hell, you know. And then I was grew up in the 60s, so I was into sort of classic rock. And then I found an album, an amazing album by a guy named Larry Norman. It was one of the early Christian rocks. I mean, yeah, Larry Norman. I got one, right? One of the... Early Christian rock and rollers. He had a a song that was called The Rock That Doesn't Roll. Another one called Why Should the Devil Have All the Good Music, right? (laughs) Why should the devil have all the good music? So I got this album. I thought, this is amazing. Finally, real music has arrived in church. And it was a phonograph, an album. Anyone, you remember, right? Yeah, Vinyl, you know. So I thought, I got to get my dad to hear this. This is the best thing. He's going to love it. Wrong. So I invite him into my room, and I put this thing on, and I turn it on, and my dad gets this pained expression on his face. I thought it was something he ate, so I thought, he's got to get the bass better, probably. I'll just crank it up a little bit. And I go, isn't this great? He goes, oh, yeah, great. And And I said, and the words are amazing. And he says, how can you tell? And I have to admit, he never learned to like that music. He's in heaven now, and I'm sure if there's a hymn section of heaven, he's over there. He's not in the rock and roll section. He's over in the Bill Gaither trio or whatever (laughs) section, right? So we differed on that. But you know what? It didn't matter because we agreed on what was essential. His desire was for me to be all that God had called me to be, and I wanted him to succeed in his Christian life as well. I remember at one point I was choosing a school, And I chose a school other than his alma mater, right, other than his school. And I knew he was deeply disappointed in me choosing that school instead. And then he sent me a letter, though. I still have this letter. And this letter basically said, Mark, I love you. And I don't want what's best for my life. I want best for your life, what God has called you to do, what God has called you to be. We as a church, we as Christians will never agree on everything. We won't agree on music. We won't agree on schooling, right? Some people think homeschooling is the only way to go. Some people think public schooling, get a, you know, keep, stay in the world. Others think private schooling. And we're never going to agree on that. We're never going to agree on our favorite Bible translation. I'm reading from the NIV, which is the greatest translation of all time, by the way. Sorry, I'm on the NIV committee, so I have to say that. But whatever translation you use, that's a great translation. We've got some wonderful, we are blessed with a wealth of, of great translations. We're not going to agree on that. But what I want to know, do you love Jesus Christ? Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Is your passion to know him and to make him known? Absolutely. That's the key. That's what we share in Christ. That's the meaning of Christian Unity. But it's not easy, of course, because people can be so people-like, right? Conflict is a way of life. All of us have pride in our lives. How do you, how do you stay unified with someone, who's always, with someone who always puts you down, right? How do you stay unified with someone who gossips about you or who has betrayed you in some way? How do you stay unified when we have so much pride in our lives, right? When I have a conflict with my wife, actually, we don't, we don't have conflict. We don't have fights. We have discussions because we're Christians, right? We have discussions. But I know what's wrong. When, when I, we have a fight, I know what's wrong. It's she's wrong and I'm right. As soon as she admits that, we're going to be reconciled together, right? That's just pride talking. Listen to James chapter 4, verse 1. James says this, James 4, 1. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? What causes fights? It's your selfish desires. It's the fact that we are sinful people, we are prideful people. So, how do we get united? How do we come together in a common purpose? Paul has the answer to that as well. Here's our third point. Look at your outline. Here's our third point the means to Christian unity, looking out for others first. The means to Christian unity. Look at verse 3, Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Do nothing. You know what the Greek word for nothing means? It means nothing. That's why they translate that way. Absolutely nothing. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Paul says, here's the key to Christian unity get your focus off yourself and onto others. Learn what it means to build them up. We live in a society that is so self absorbed. And I have to admit, I'm a very selfish person when, when it comes right down to it. Let me give you a scenario. Let's say I'm at work. This is purely hypothetical. This kind of thing never really happens in our house because we're Christians. So, But suppose I'm at work and I'm having a pretty bad day. Things aren't going that well. My wife calls me and she says, I, I can hear it in her voice. There's a little tension at home. There's some fires brewing at home. It hasn't been a good day for her either. And she says, I'm not making dinner tonight. You might want to pick something up on the way home. Now, what's my initial response? What do you mean you're not making dinner? We're in agreement, tonight you make dinner, tomorrow I make dinner. Tomorrow's in and out, by the way, so that's how I, I make <laughs> dinner. So I could simply ask her a simple objective question. So what have you been doing all day? Guys ever fallen for that one, right? Or made that mistake, right? Wrong, right? Where does that question come from? James tells us it comes from your selfish desires that battle within you. Two things I need to ask myself. First of all, will what I'm about to say contribute to the problem or contribute to the solution? Right? You know this, right? Someone says something, you have a great comeback. You're ready to give them the comeback. You're ready to to nail them with it. Right? You got to use it. If you got a comeback, you got to use it. You don't want to waste it you got to use it. What happens when you use it, though? You know it's going to be destructive, so I have to stop. In what I'm about to say, contributing to the solution or the problem. There's a little fire brewing at home. Am I going to come home with water to put it out, or am I going to come home with gasoline? Right? Too often we come home with the gasoline. That's the first question. Will what I'm saying contribute to the problem or the solution? The second question I need to ask myself is, what needs are not being met? in this person right now? What needs are not being met with my wife? How can I help her? How can I encourage her? The only way we're going to maintain unity in the church, in the home, in our lives, is to look out for the needs of others first. Why is that? Because pride destroys relationships. Service and humility builds up relationships. Relationships. Here's a key point. Write this one down. Christian leadership is about empowerment. Christian leadership isn't about power. It's not about authority. It's not about control. Christian leadership is is about empowerment, enabling others to be all that God has called them to be. I love the story of the pastor who was pastoring this little country church, and he always thought he was a, a better preacher than the church, this little tiny church. He deserved a larger church. So finally he got called down the road to another city, to this larger church. So he was very delighted that, you know, finally his gifts would be used in a a more active way. And so he announced on Sunday morning that he was leaving this church for another call. He's then at the door greeting people as they go out. And this little old lady comes up to him and she says, I'm so sorry you're leaving, Pastor. Things will never be the same. He wanted to be humble and he he said, don't worry, dear. I'm, I'm sure God is going to bring someone even better than me. And she responded, well, that's what they all say, but they just keep getting worse and worse. <laughs> I love that story because it reminds us, you know what, it's not about us. It's not about us. It's about God. Christian leadership is not about us. It's about empowerment. and about enabling others to be all that God has called them to be. I got a good dose of humility a while back. My son, my son asked me, he said, Dad, why do they call you Dr. Strauss, Dr. Strauss, right? You don't, you know, and what he's thinking is doctors help you, right? Medical doctors help you. They should call mom Dr. Strauss because she's the one. When we get hurt, she's the one that that helps, helps. And so I tried to explain her, I I don't have an MD, a medical degree. I have a PhD, which means I'm a specialist in a particular field. That specialty happens to be New Testament and Greek. And he's looking at me as I'm describing this, and he's going... He has no idea what I'm talking about, clear. And so, so we just, we just leave it. About a week later, we're watching a TV show, and on this TV show, someone, says, someone calls someone else a quack, a quack, and my son turns to me and he says, Dad, what's a quack? And I said, oh, that's someone who pretends to be a doctor but really isn't. His eyes lit up, and he goes, oh, like you, I get it. You know what? God doesn't care about a PhD. He's not impressed by a PhD. God isn't impressed by superstar athletes. Did you know that? God's not impressed with that at all. God's not impressed with a, a rock star. What, you know what impresses God? Read the Bible. You know what impresses God? A humble heart of dependence on him. A simple trust in him. That's what impresses God. Once again, Christian leadership is not about power. It's about empowerment. It's about service. It's about allowing, calling others to be all that God has called them to be. And that's what we're all about at The Rock, right? That's why our theme is save, equip, and send. Save, equip, and send because we're equipping people to go out and do the work of the ministry. That's why we have our PST, our pastoral support team. That's why we have our life groups. That's why we have our Rock University and Impact 195. It's about calling others to exercise their spiritual gifts. This church, more than any church I've been associated with, mobilizes its people to get out there and do the work of the ministry. If we could learn this powerful lesson about leadership, it would transform our family lives, that we're here to serve each other. It would transform our church life. Most importantly, it would transform the world around us as they saw that we were people of service who cared and loved the way God cares and loves. Because that's exactly, that's precisely what our ultimate role model did. He cared, he loved. For God so loved the world, what? He sent, he sent his only son. And that's what we get in this passage. Here's our fourth point. Here's our fourth point. The model for Christian unity The model for Christian unity, the incarnation of Jesus Christ. Incarnation, that's a technical word that means God became a human being. In an act of absolute, incredible humility, he became a human being. He lived among us, and he suffered and died for us. Look at how Paul says it. Here's our model. Verse 5. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God. He was God did not consider himself consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death even death on a cross Do you see what that's saying Jesus had all the glory of God. He was the sovereign creator of the universe. And that he looked down on us, our fallen humanity, who were dying in their sins, and he left heaven's glory to come to earth, to pay the penalty for our sins, to bring us back into a right relationship with God. You see, Jesus wasn't thinking of himself when he left heaven's glory to come to earth he wasn't thinking of himself when he spent 30 years in poverty and humility and service here on earth he especially wasn't thinking of himself when he went to the cross and agonizingly died to pay the penalty for our sins but what did he accomplish through that the greatest act of all time he brought us into a right relationship with god he brought us back into relationship with god One of my favorite verses of all time. 2 Corinthians 5.19. Write that one down. 2 Corinthians 5.19 says this. God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. Not counting people's sin against them. God was in Christ. Jesus himself was God. Reconciling the world to himself. Amazing act of service and sacrifice. And the next line is even more amazing. 2 Corinthians 5.20. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. He has committed to us the the, the message of reconciliation. We are God's ambassadors. We are his representatives. We are the only Jesus some people will ever see. We are the messengers. How can we ever do that unless we're willing to sacrifice ourselves, unless we're willing to give ourselves in service? Christ made the ultimate sacrifice. Now he calls on us to take up our cross, and follow him, to be willing to serve, to be willing to lift others up. That means setting aside our pride sometimes, humbly serving others. I read an amazing story of a woman and her husband. They were trying to get pregnant, and they went to the doctor and joyfully found out that she was pregnant with twins. But the doctor also made a diagnosis that she had just contracted leukemia, the doctor said it was she should just abort the children and immediately start treatment. She said, no, she wasn't going to do that. She was going to carry the kids full term, and then she'd start treatment after that. Why would she do that? Why would she, do that? Why would she risk her own life? The answer is because they were family. This is her family. These are her children. Why would we risk ourselves? Why would he give up our pride? Why would he give up our ambition for one another, for those around you? Because we are family. And family sacrifices itself for one another. Family serves each other. Family gives to lift the other person up. As the service comes to a conclusion, though, I want to ask you, are you part of the family? Have you come into a right relationship with God through Jesus Christ? Do you experience what Paul says? Do you experience encouragement for being united in Christ, the comfort from his love, the common sharing in the Spirit? If you've never come into a right relationship with God through Jesus Christ, you need to make that decision. You need to make that decision here and now. Jesus Christ came to earth to suffer and die to pay the penalty for your sins. Now he's calling you to respond. And the Holy Spirit is beckoning you, is drawing you to himself. I want to give you that opportunity right now. If you have never come into a right relationship with God through Jesus Christ, close your eyes with me, everyone. Let's close our eyes together. I want to just invite you to do that. It's really a simple decision, simple decision and simple words to say. You need to simply pray a prayer something like this: "God, I recognize that I'm a sinner, I recognize that I'm a sinner. I recognize that I am alienated from you and I need a relationship with you, that you created me to be in relationship with you. So I acknowledge that Jesus Christ is my Savior. I acknowledge that He came to earth to suffer and die to pay the sins for the sins of the world, and I accept you, I accept you as my Savior. If you pray that simple prayer, I accept you as my Savior, you will enter into an eternal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. You will be transformed into a person of God. You will be brought into the family of God. If you prayed that prayer right now, I want you to do this. I want you to make a commitment of faith. I want you to stand up right now. If you have just prayed to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you just prayed to submit yourself to God and his will, stand up right wherever you are, stand up. God bless you. Yes. Thank you. God bless you. Just stand up right now. The Holy Spirit is calling you into a relationship with Him. God bless you. Maybe you've made that decision in the past, and yet you've wandered away from God. And you've been selfish. You've been self-centered in your life and you've had relationships that are alienated. Maybe your pride has taken over, and you you recognize this morning that that you need to to submit yourself a little bit. You need to be humble. You need to give instead of taking so much. Make that decision to come back, like the prodigal son, to come back to God. If you want to make this, stand up as well. If you want to make that decision, stand up as well to commit yourself to, to renew that relationship with God that has fallen away, that has been in some way broken. Maybe you're here and you you need healing in some way. Maybe it's physical healing or maybe it's spiritual. Maybe you've just been damaged emotionally um, or uh, you need emotional healing in some way or spiritual healing in your life. You can stand up as well. I'm going to ask you now, all those who stand up, I'm going to ask you to come down. Come down front at this time. Come down with us. Make that decision of faith. Amen. If you're in the balcony, if you're in the balcony, you can go right back out the back and come down. God bless you. Stay right here, yeah. God bless you. 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 Good morning, God bless, you. God, bless you, God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Good morning, God bless you. This is, this is a joyful time, not just because of the decisions that we made, but also because it's Communion Sunday. Communion is a time of worship. It's the, it's the highest calling for Christians in terms of Christian worship. And so we're going to take that together and we're going to have you take it with us here down in front. You, you should have, when you came in, you should have gotten a little communion packet. We'll explain how to do this in a moment. Um, if you don't have one, there'll be ushers in the, in the aisles and they will give it to you. Let me talk about communion for a minute. Jesus on the night he was betrayed um, that Passover evening he, took, he, he celebrated a Passover with his disciples, but he created a new Passover where the, the lamb that was slain at the Passover to bring deliverance from Egypt became Jesus Christ himself, where he was going to give himself wholly as a sacrifice for sins. And so he instituted the Lord's Supper as a means of worship, as a way to remember what he accomplished in the past and the point forward to his second coming. And so the bread and the cup represent his body and his blood that was given for, for us. So in your little packet here, if you pull off the very top, the, the clear top, you'll get the wafer. The wafer will come out. That bread represents Christ's body. Everyone have one here?